Good afternoon. Welcome to the channel. Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. A day of markets that brought an interesting Wednesday trade. Still some negativity going on in our in our corn complex, as well as what we see in the wheat mix for the soybeans. And it looks like the livestock, especially on this cattle, might have tried to reprieve itself just a smidge. We're going to talk about what's happening in the proteins, but more importantly, what some of the factors are when it comes to yield numbers. Lots to look at today as Arlen Suderman joined us up with StoneX. And Arlen, got to start out. I have more fun watching this time of year as uh, farmers start sharing what they're seeing. And more importantly, the surprises so many of them are seeing as they're putting up videos on, on X as they look at the, the corn harvest and even bean harvest in some areas. Yeah, and let's be clear from the start, there is a tremendous amount of variability this year. We do have those areas that got hit hard by the stress, and some of those areas are in Nebraska, um, Kansas, also in Missouri. Uh, just a tough time. And uh, But looking at the big picture, back in September 6th when we conducted our September customer survey, and it showed uh, a national average corn yield of 175 bushels per acre and 50.1 bushels per acre for soybeans. And I posted that on X, formerly Twitter. Um, boy, the, the, the people came out of the woodworks to tell me how stupid I was and how out of touch I was with the crops and what was happening. And that's kind of the nature of Twitter um, when that happens. And so uh, I, when we came out with our October 2nd updated yield estimates showing corn at 175.5 bushels per acre, up a half bushel from last month, Soybeans at 50.4 bushels per acre, up three-tenths of a bushel from last month. I expected to get hit again. And because, frankly, as a former agronomist who walked hundreds if not thousands of fields, I expected that the late some growing season stress would have reduced seed size, and therefore we would have seen yields start to trend lower. And um, so I was surprised as well at how our customer survey came in. And... It was silence, um, not a single protest through the first day after posting that. So I decided to poke the bear a little bit and and post a statement to that extent on Twitter. And I got flooded with comments saying, well, nobody said anything because you're right. Yields are coming in better than expected. And I think particularly in parts of Iowa and Illinois, those two big production states, uh, both corn and soybean yields are surprisingly good. Are there problem areas within those states? Yes, but overall they're coming in a lot better than expected. And so how does this compare to where we expect USDA? You know, the one big difference is is our survey comes from surveying our commercial clients who have agronomists on the ground checking fields and also talking to their farmers, hearing their yield reports as they um, start to harvest. And and nationally, we're getting to be about 30% of the way, if not more, into the harvest now. Um, The USDA numbers that will come out next week will be based on a farmer survey and sampling fields. And so, if, in fact, the later maturing crops were hurt worse by um, that late season stress, then USDA should pick that up next week. And if it doesn't, then that would suggest that the market's going to be very comfortable with the size of this year's crop, and it's going to start focusing on export demand and South American weather. 
So we do have a USDA report right next week. How much influence will that yeah. have? And, and is it going to build some kind of backing to what you guys are finding in the numbers? Yeah, I, and I think as far as backing, that's that's what I'm really curious to see. Since they've been sampling fields of all maturities, well, I say of all maturities, of all planting dates, so to speak, of most everything should be basically mature by now for sampling. And uh, so that should give me even more confidence one way or the other. And I think if you look, for example, at soybean yields, uh, the last 30 years, they've only moved a bushel, they moved a bushel or less by the final yield from that October report. So the trade's going to assume as far along as these crops are, as mature as they are and as rapid as we're harvesting, that whatever the October report shows, that's going to be pretty much in the ballpark with the final number. And um, so that that's what I'm going to be interested in seeing overall. Um, but uh you know, this is a market that's going to be focused more and more on export demand, I think, in the in the weeks ahead. And export demand right now is very weak and very disappointing because Brazil's still shipping a lot of soybeans and corn. And I know that uh, the confidence is there between uh, Brazil and China, and it'd be nice to see China turn that around and come over to the United States. It would be, but one of the problems there is low water levels on the Panama Canal, which raises costs and delays for anything coming out of the Gulf Coast. Uh, China has booked a lot of ships out of the Pacific Northwest, but that's a very limited port area. There's only so much they can ship out of that area, and the costs are higher there, too, because everything that goes there has to be uh, railed over the Rocky Mountains, and so that adds to those costs. So... Um, overall, uh, I think we're going to see those exports uh, to the Southeast Asia, which are a big part of our export program, be hurt this year, not just by Panama Canal, but by the Mississippi River low water levels as well. You are a mind reader. I was just going to ask how much of an influence or excuse could that be used when it comes to export purchases going elsewhere? It's a big problem. Water levels on the Mississippi are basically where they were a year ago when we saw significant problems and and slowness of export shipments through the Gulf. It's just not getting mentioned as, enough, as much right now because shippers from Southeast Asia are complaining about the Panama Canal. If the Panama Canal was more normal, then it would be the Mississippi. But I think right now the primary problem is the Panama Canal. Stick around. We've got more coming up. It's the channel final bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. KRVN. Welcome back to the channel final bell on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Continuing our conversation this afternoon with Arlen Suderman. Of course, Arlen is with StoneX. And we were talking about export opportunities and obviously the issues that are happening in the Mississippi River, the pressure that we're going to see on the PNW. But what about the dumping of of cheaper wheat onto the markets coming globally? You kind of mentioned that to me before we started the program. How much of an effect is that going to weigh in as we look at our crops here in the States? Yeah, I think it really became an emphasis last Friday when USDA's small grain summary report showed the big unanticipated increase in wheat production that we got from you out of that report. One of the largest increases of production that I've seen between August and September from USDA. And and frankly, the increased feed usage basically to compensate. So stocks as of September 1st only went up about 8 million bushels above 
because of feed usage. And I think it just brought more feed usage back more in line with what reality is and probably corrected the fact that they've been understating wheat production. But what it did is focus the market on the fact that we have more wheat in the world that's hitting the world market and that's largely been coming out of the Black Sea region. Russia has been shipping record amounts of wheat here in recent months and they keep they keep on talking about setting a minimum price that they won't sell below a certain price but uh, they keep breaking that and uh, selling to different countries at prices that are a discount to that and that price keeps working its way lower. Now Ukraine exports are pretty much shut down for a while when the Black Sea Grain Initiative uh, was canceled, but they've been finding ways to get exports going once again, and particularly now they've got this humanitarian corridor, uh, which allows ships to kind of hug the coast of Ukraine, heading toward the Romanian uh, waters, and once they get the Romanian waters, then they can head out toward more open waters and uh, toward their destination. And ships have been doing that safely, and Russia's been leaving them alone. Now, Russia's been bombing the port facilities, and that has hindered exports. But the bottom line is, is we're seeing more and more ships now starting to go into Ukraine as well. Corn probably has been more of a priority than wheat, but both are getting exported. And that combination, combined with the fact that prices between those two keep working their way lower, especially out of Russia, it's kind of a fire sale on wheat in the world, and the U.S. is caught trying to keep up and stay competitive. Well, let's switch gears, and I wanted to spend some time on this protein side as we look at the cattle market. Yesterday was it was a tough market to trade day for them. We've kind of turned it around a little bit today. But what influence are you going to see that we can keep pushing it into the positive for these cattle guys? Well, first of all, the fundamentals haven't changed much. Um, but keep in mind, the market virtually never goes in the same direction for very long without having corrections. There's an ebb and flow to the market, and we had made new highs, and then it started acting toppy. And when the funds who hold major long or bot positions see that, toppy action, they start getting nervous. And so that leaves them vulnerable to some type of headline or outside action that might cause them to start liquidating. And once they start liquidating, they're all racing each other, trying to get out the door. That's pretty much what we saw happen on on Monday and Tuesday of this week. Now, it was aided by what was happening in the outside markets. We saw on Tuesday that the as Treasury yields surged, 10-year Treasury yields hit new 16-year highs, and then we saw the dollar, as a result, jumped to new 10-month highs. That uh, um, that started raising concerns among fund managers that the consumer was going to get worried. And we had weaker consumer sentiment data recently, and quit buying stakes. And so it was pretty much risk off on Wall Street, and that really hit the protein sector as well, in addition to stocks and many of the other commodities. So the problem now is we did stabilize today, but we have done some chart damage. Fortunately, the fundamentals are still there, so we do look for this buying to start coming back. We're still looking at choice cuts trading somewhere close to $300 per hundred weight, and uh, we're seeing the packers slow down the chain speed this week, and but the cash prices 
Um, feeders pretty much taking advantage of the better basis opportunities for those who are hedged. So we've seen this week's action once again be early, mostly about 182 in the south, 183 to 184 in the north. So a little bit weaker than last week, um, but overall pretty good. And I think we'll start finding support under the board once again. Lots of great stuff today. Real fast, Arlen, is a, is a bottom coming for our hogs? Well, I think we priced in the uh, the bearish quarterly hogs and pigs report. I think that's pretty well priced in now. So, yes, uh, we should find some stability. Uh, all right. Best way for folks to get a hold of you? Donex.com or over on X, formerly Twitter, uh, ArlenFF101. Well, thanks so much, Arlen Sudman, joining us today. As well as we remind you, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss, not suitable to all investors. It's been brought to you the channel final bell. By Channel Seed and your local Channel Seed professional on the Royal Radio Network.